Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. Hey, I want you to grab your Bible. We're going to jump all around today, but you can go to John 18. Here first, I want to read a few different scriptures. I'm going to finish out today collection we've been in this month called the battle of beliefs has the last month been helpful for anybody have you learned something is it challenged you a little bit we've talked around the idea of what you believe matters a lot and and it matters because what you believe shapes how you behave um, I, I can look at your life and your behaviors and tell what you believe by what you're doing. You, you behave according to your beliefs. And so uh, we've, we've talked about there's a cultural and spiritual war taking place over what you believe. And so we've talked about being grounded in God's word, looking at the world through a biblical lens. Um, and, and, and it's really being countercultural in a world that is going away from the ways of the kingdom. And so... Today I want to finish that out, and um, first I want to read in Psalm 119, then I'm going to jump to John 18. So Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I want to read that again, your word. Somebody say your word. Your word, God's word is a lamp for my feet, it's a light for my path. Now John 18, I'm going to start in verse number 36, Jesus is um, around uh, Pilate here, he's being sentenced. Verse number 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Don't you love that right there? I'm not of this world. This is not, I'm not, I'm just passing through. I'm a sojourner. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. Uh, My kingdom, I didn't come to establish a kingdom here. I came to establish a spiritual kingdom. He says, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest for the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate, and Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came to the world is to testify to the truth. This is really important. So Jesus is now talking about who he is and what he's doing, and Pilate's saying, you're a king, and he's like, hey, I'm here. Jesus said, I'm here to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Those are some bold words, isn't it? And then this question by Pilate is really the question I want to talk about today, and it's a question you have heard, and it's a question everyone is asking, and everyone's got thoughts on. He says, what is truth? Have <laughs> I thought this recently, heard this discussed, asked, debated, what is truth? So the title for my message today is simply this, God's word is truth. God's word is truth. And today I want to give use some handles to hold on to on what that means, on why we believe that, and um, what, what truth is so that you can stand firm on the truth of God's word. Father, thank you for your word today and for these moments that we share around it. God, thank you that these words are, it's, it's you speaking to us, God. This is your word. And so, Lord, we pray today that we would not just attend a service or hear a talk or watch a video online, but Father, I pray today that we would hear from heaven. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your spirit today. So open our mind, open our ears, open our heart to receive from your word today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, what is, what is truth? What is truth? Has anybody heard this question, asked this question, thought this question? What is truth? People are asking this question, aren't they? What is truth? I was thinking about this, and um, 
I'm a sports guy, grew up in a home of three boys, playing sports year-round, watching sports, uh, watching sports all day yesterday. Uh, VCU beat U of R. Go Rams. Let's go. (laughs) Jesus is alive. Let's go. (laughs) Just love sports, and I always had great um, respect. I greatly admired those that were successful at it. Not just like, oh, they're winning or they're talented, but like their whole story, like the discipline, the, the work, the blood, sweat, and tears, the, the sacrifice they gave, the, the hours they put in, the, the strategy, like the whole package of what it took for somebody to win. Like I just greatly looked at and admired successful people. And this is true of every area of life, whether it's sports or business or marriage or family or faith. Like looking at someone that's like doing well and where you want to be and just just like, wow, like, what does it take? What are you doing? So this was, I just became a student of, like, the athletes I competed against. I I was a runner, so cross country and track. So I'd be looking at other people's times, looking at their workouts, what are they doing, how do they use their off-season, and just begin to admire the work and the success of other people. Kind of became a student of people that were winning. And what was interesting, I noticed a common thread about people that most people that were successful not just about their work and what they did, but also how they carried themselves and how they behaved. And what I found was that most successful people didn't have to talk about how successful they were. (laughs) Right, like most people that were like talented or gifted or like could change a game or win a race, like they were just good. Like they didn't try to like always talk or argue or defend their greatness, like they were just great. They were just good, right? Have you seen this? It's like, like, the people, like the people that always need to defend and talk about how great they are, like there's a reason. <laughs> right? It's like let your, let your game do the talking. The proof is in the pudding kind of deal, right? Like, like if, like, and so I just begin to notice this about people. Like it's almost like if you're legit, we'll see. Right? Like we'll see. And To go back to the biblical narrative, it's interesting because the Bible almost takes this approach about itself in its claim to be truth. So the Bible declares about itself that it's truth. The Bible declares to be absolute truth from God. But but the Bible almost, almost in a puzzling way to some people doesn't attempt to validate itself or philosophically argue for itself or defend itself in its claims. It just is. For example, Genesis chapter one, the biblical narrative starts out, in the beginning, God. And then it goes, it's like, wait a minute, like, you're just assuming that we believe there's a God. Like, there's not an argument for the fact that there's a God. There's not this, like, you know, three-point, like, let me, let me show you how there was a God that existed outside of time, and before things came to be, God was, and God is eternal. And God, like, no, 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 it's just like, in the beginning, God. It's almost like the biblical narrative is like, I'm not really gonna argue it. I'm not gonna, like, do it. It's like, it's like if God's word is true, if God is God, we'll see, we'll know. And What's amazing is over the last few thousand years, the claims about the Bible to be true, to be truth, for God to be who he is, like, it's proven itself. Like, 
it is true. So here's, here's a few of the claims that the scripture makes. And we, this is, again, I'm kind of scratching the surface today, hopefully to pique your interest. We could go into so many scriptures all day about God's word claiming itself to be truth, to be God. So here's just a few. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying. And he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What is truth? Jesus is saying God's word is truth. John 14, this is Jesus talking about himself. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's not leaving room for a gray. He's not saying I am a truth. I am one truth. Like, no, Jesus is saying I am the truth. It's who I am. My, my life, my message, I am the truth from God. Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus is truth. His message is truth. His words are truth. Over and over again, again, I'm just giving you a few here to show you. The Bible claims about itself where the truth of God's word. This is God's word. This is the truth. And, and again, in claiming it, Jesus, when he claims it, is not even trying to create an argument. He's just stating it. I am the truth. I am the truth. And what's incredible about this is over the th a few thousand years that we've had God's word and God has been building his church. And it's, it's like, if it's legit, we'll know. Like, it's legit and we know. It's proven itself. So, so here's, here's the question that we have to ask then. I, I'm not just asking you, hey, blindly take God's word. Although I do think as believers, we're confessional Christians, meaning we confess, we believe God's word, we take him at his word. But at the same time, there has been many proofs now where we can look back and be like, yeah, God's word is true. We believe God's word. We believe it is reliable and credible and authoritative. And so um, I, I could take a whole month on this, okay? This is more of um, apologetics and argument and defense for the faith. But here's a few handles that I want to give you today to hopefully uh, just help you. How do you know God's word is reliable? That's the question we're asking. That's the question culture is asking. That's the question academia is asking. How do we know God's word is reliable? I've got a few things for you. The first one, number one, the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible's historically accurate. So in Bible school, I had a professor. His name was Dr. Ed Heinsohn. He was one of my favorite teachers. One of, I think he's one of the greatest Bible teachers on planet Earth. And he taught Old Testament and all this kind of stuff. And I remember his voice was like this. He, he, he was just like this. He's always, and he would always say about the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Bible is about real people in real places and in real history. The Bible is about real people in real places in real history. Like over and over again, it's real people in real places in real history. He's, he's trying to like get in our minds that this is not a fairy tale. Like this is not like Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Like this is not Avatar. This is like, this is real people in real places in real history. 
And even we're, we're going through the Bible in a year together as a church. If, if you're not part of the plan yet, you can scan the QR code a few different places in the lobby and jump in. You're only a few weeks behind. You can jump in and read the Bible in a year. We're going through Genesis right now. And just this week, I think, maybe it was last week, uh, Ms. Vicky, you know, there was a chapter in there. It's one of the chapters like, I know y'all skip it. I know you skip it. It's okay. It's all the names. It's all the family trees and the ancestors. You just, you just look at it and you're like, you just like, you kind of see the first paragraph and you're like, yep. And you just check the box. That you read it. I know you didn't read it. It's okay. But you're like, my church family's looking at this. I know they're going to see if I read it or not. So you just check it. It's okay. <laughs> but I was reading through that this week, or I was skimming through it, like all y'all were, all the names. And again, it's like, you don't know all those family trees, or you might not know all the names, but here's what it's telling you like, those are real people. Those are real people, part of real families and real places and real history. Like, the Bible is historically. Accurate. Here's, here's three arguments for it being historically accurate. The first one is eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts. How, how anything gets passed on in history is there are eyewitness accounts, and it is recorded and scripted and passed on, and there's eyewitness accounts to value. Like, the Bible is, it, it passes all of the tests. Any other ancient documents or ancient stories um, and the validity that comes with them, none, none of it can touch the amount of validity and eyewitness accounts of the scripture. Like, these were real events seen and recorded by real people in real time and real history. Even, even the gospels are, it's, it's not like we heard about Jesus or the rumor about Jesus was. The gospels are like, I was with Jesus. Like, this is what he said to us. This is what I saw him do to this sick person. This is what he said here. Like, and, and the gospels are four different eyewitness accounts about Jesus and his ministry, and they're all saying the same thing. So it's all people witnessing the same events, the same things Jesus is saying or doing. So there's eyewitness accounts that validate the historical nature of the scripture. The second thing is they are recorded and copied with great care. Recorded and copied with great care. If you've been at the School of Theology that we just began on Tuesday nights, the very first class was actually about this. It put a lot of ancient historical stories and documents that um, all of academics would say are valid and they're authoritative and we can trust them. And, and all of those, like they validate them by the number of transcripts, how closely the transcripts matched, the time period between the transcripts written, like if there was one transcript and then thousands and thousands and thousands of years and then another one, they, they would have some flags because it wouldn't be valid. So all of these things um, you can put up against historical documents to know how, how accurate they are, how uh, precisely they were uh, passed on and carried along. In the Bible, 10Xs any other historical documents and number of transcripts, accuracy of transcripts, timeline time of transcripts. Like there's numbers and data and charts I could put up here to show you any other historical document that uh, college campuses and all this stuff see as valid. Uh, the Bible has more transcripts written closer together, validated way more than any of them. Across history, uh, the group of people that historians would label as being the most precise and the most dedicated to accurate transcribing um, is the Jewish people. And that's, that's where God's, God's word and his writing were passed on. So it's, it's been recorded and passed on with great care throughout its history. The third thing is um, all the findings of archaeology. All the confirmations of archaeology that have been found, not one discovery has been made 
that has gone against what we see in the biblical, in the biblical script. There's not been one archaeological find or discovery that has gone up against or countered what we read in the scripture. Every single one has validated, yeah, this is what was said, this is what was recorded. There was one even that puzzled archaeologists, and we actually just read about it, I think it was yesterday in our, in our reading in Genesis, there was a group of people that they just couldn't find anything from that was almost like, according to archaeology, they were just ghosts, and it was the Hittite people, the Hittites. So forever they found all these, uh, all these findings, all these uh, historical things in their digs to validate all these different groups of people, but the Hittites were like ghosts. They couldn't find anything for the Hittite people. And so they just figured, well, maybe they were called something different. Maybe the Bible referred to them something differently. Maybe we had the areas messed up. But sure enough, they, they did a dig and found stuff. And then underneath a previous dig, they found they went deeper. They found the Hittites. So they found everything that they read about the Hittites, they found that they thought were missing. And so every single find so far in human history, has validated and confirmed what the Bible has said. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. So the Bible is historically accurate. The second thing is this. The Bible is thematically unified. Thematically unified. So here's some cool numbers for you. If you're a numbers person, uh, this is gonna be a good message for you. You're gonna like this. So the Bible is written over a period of about 1,600 years in about over 12 countries, on three continents, by 40 people in three languages. All right, so, so the amount of uh, diversity in the timeline and cross generations it was written, the diversity in the people in, it was, in, in which it was written, in the culture in which it was written, in the language in which it was written, is monster. And that, that could be used, actually, people will like to point to that to show that it's not valid. They'll just say, oh, it's just a big melting pot of a bunch of different writings and a bunch of different people. But this, this actually adds validity to the scripture because all those different people across those, all those different years and all the different languages and cultures, when you put them all together, they're all saying the same thing. They're all pointing towards the same direction. They're all writing the same narrative, the same story of God. Like thematically, they're unified. And if this, this destroys any other religion, any other documents. Like the Quran was written by one dude at one time. It was written by one dude at one time. Right, so it's like, how valid is that? Well, it's like, well, how, like, you're, all of your eggs have to be in that one guy at that one time at that one thing's basket. Whereas the biblical narrative spans across thousands of years, dozens of people, dozens of cultures, and they're all saying the exact same thing. It's thematically unified. Isn't that cool? Number three is this. The Bible is prophetically accurate. Now, this is super cool. This is super cool. If you're a nerd here, this is for you. I was thinking about you this week as I was preparing for all my nerds here. The Bible is prophetically accurate. There are more than 1,000 prophecies in the scripture. Now, you say, what's a prophecy? A prophecy is a declaration of the truth. A prophecy is declaring a truth before it, it, it happens. It's, um, in street terms, it's, it's telling the future. It's knowing what's ahead. A, a, a prophecy, there's a th over a thousand of these in the scripture, 300 of these 
are about Christ himself. And when I say prophecy, like I don't mean like vague generalizations. Like some of y'all, you're like, oh, I got the gift of prophecy. I have a word for you. Um, in the next year, things might be difficult. It's like, yeah, it's like everybody, <laughs> that's not like, I don't think you needed to hear from God on that, right? Like that's just, it's not general stuff, right? That's not a gift of prophecy. That's just vague. Like the prophecies in the scripture are like this person in this city, this is how they're gonna enter the city. This is the way his family's gonna be. This is how he's gonna die. This is the body, how, how it's gonna, I mean, specific stuff. There's a thousand of these. 300 of them about Jesus himself. The last one that was made about Jesus was about 400 years before Jesus even showed up. All right, so let's, let's bring this up to modern day. That's the equivalent to someone on the Mayflower prophesying about today. It's the same as someone on the Mayflower talking about Bitcoin, Tom Brady being the goat, and the metaverse. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, there, there would have been no concept for, like. Like across hundreds of years, these things are being prophesied about Jesus and the town he'd be born in and how he's going to enter and the nails in his hands and all the different details about it hundreds of years before he even came onto the scene. King David prophesied in the Psalms about the crucifixion. And here's why that's crazy. Because the crucifixion wasn't even a thing when David prophesied that. So again, that's somebody from generations ago prophesying today about something that did not exist when they said it. So you've got King David prophesying about the piercing of the nails, about the crucifixion. The Romans were not killing people like that when David said that. So over and over again, the Bible is prophetically accurate. There was a mathematician, um, a man who studied probability, his name is Dr. Peter Stoner, and he, he began to study the probability of these prophecies being fulfilled. And, and he just began to do math. Again, how specific these prophecies were about Christ. And he came to this conclusion that one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies about Christ, eight of them, okay? So there's 300, we're just talking eight, okay? The bars are low. Eight, the probability of you fulfilling eight, any person fulfilling eight of these is one in 10 to the 17th power. There's that number. Okay, so like, like, th- like this, is, this is greater than like the lottery kind of, this, is, this, puts the, like this makes the lottery seem definite. You know what I mean? This is, this is way higher. This is like just eight of them, one in 10 to the 17th. And it's hard for us to even put our mind around that number. We're like, that's just a lot of zeros. Okay, here's, here's how much that number is, okay? If you were to take a silver dollar, that many silver dollars, it would be enough silver dollars to cover the entire state of Texas. Okay, anybody been to Texas? Texas is big, y'all. Come on, everything bigger in Texas. Texas is monster. So to cover the entire state of Texas in silver dollars, two feet tall. Two feet tall, the entire state of silver dollars. And the likelihood that one person fulfills eight of these prophecies is one out of all of So it's, it's you taking a chopper over the state of Texas. Are you going to do Dallas Metro or Houston Metro or Austin or Lubbock or just the backwoods of Texas, wherever you're going to go, and just dropping in from the chopper, reaching your hand down in two feet worth of silver dollars and trying to grab the one. Good luck. That, that's the chances of person fulfilling eight of these. And the numbers get too crazy, so I don't even have them written out for the other ones. One person fulfilling 16 of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th. 
One person fulfilling 48 of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th. Okay, these numbers are so big, I, can't, I couldn't put them on the screen for you. I couldn't give you an illustration of silver dollars to articulate the, the enormity of these numbers. This is the likelihood that somebody would come and with precise accuracy fulfill these prophecies. That's only 48 of them. Christ came and fulfilled all of them perfectly. So the scriptures are prophetically accurate. Here's what 2 Peter says, because you could see those numbers and say, how does that happen? How in the world is all those guests right? How in the world does Jesus come fulfill these? Here's how, 1 Peter chapter one, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter one, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. How in the world are all these things said? How in the world does Jesus fulfill them? Well, because it didn't come from man. It was written by man, but it was inspired by God. It, it was written by God. The, the only way this happens is because God is writing the story of God. God was writing a redemption story to send his son for sinners like me and you to be saved for his glory. The Bible is prophetically accurate. The fourth thing is this. The Bible has endured all attacks. The Bible has endured all attacks. No book, no book, and no book comes close in human history has been attacked more than the Bible. No book has been sought after to cap, to shush, to dismantle, to disarm. Like there are, there are countries and nations in the world where if you're, if, if you're caught with it, you are imprisoned. If you're caught proclaiming it, you are put to death. Like no book, no text in human history has been persecuted and attacked and torn apart more than the scripture, but it has always endured. Come on, this is good. In fact, throughout human history, the places where it's most tried to keep quiet is actually the places it spreads the most. The places where it's the most attacked is where Christians get all the more fired up and God's word goes forth even more. It's almost like what Peter said in 1 Peter 1 is true, that all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It has stood every attack. It has last. It will endure. God's word, God's word will go forth. So, so you can trust the scripture. And again, I just gave you four. There's 20 things I could go through today, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of confidence. I can trust God's word. I can trust that it's true. I can trust that it's been tested. I can trust that it's been proven. I can take God at his word. God's word is truth. So my premise today, my, my, the whole message today is what is truth? God's word is truth. God's word is truth. We, we know we can trust it. We know we can rely on it. We know we can bet our life on it. So if his word is true, we've got to treat it and approach it a certain way. All right, look, this is important because I'm gonna get practical here for my last three. If, if God's word is true, if God's word is reliable, that must shape how you approach it. That must shape what you do with it. So, so I've got three things, three practical things. We hit on this last week a little bit, but I want to expound uh, about how to treat God's word, particularly in our culture today that will tell you the opposite, okay? Number one, God's truth is not something we decide, it's something we discover. God's truth is not something we decide, it's something we discover. All right, if, if God's word is true, then it doesn't need Nate to validate it. Like, if God's word is true, it doesn't need Nate's faith 
to make it true. Like outside of Nate, if it's true, it's true. Like Nate doesn't have to believe in gravity for me to step off this stage in gravity to be true. Nate doesn't have to be a fan of gravity or love gravity for gra- the, the truth of gravity to affect my reality when I step into it. Are you with me today? It's, it's not something that you decide or come up with. It's something we discover outside of us. And, and culturally today, what's happened and what's popular is, is to create your own truth. Right? We talked about this just last week. Uh, discover your own truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. What's true for them is true for them. Discover your own truth. And this, this is not compatible with the truth of God's word. To, to come up with your own truth is to declare, I am wiser than God. To come up with your own truth is to declare, I, I am smarter and more compassionate and more loving and more just and more merciful than God. I am more generous than God. I am more caring than God. To come up with your own truth is to declare those things about God's word. And what happens is people are in a search for truth. Everybody's on a search for truth. So I know this about everybody in the room because you're human. Because you're human. I know this about everybody that is watching this on YouTube this week that you're in a search for truth. I know this about every single person that's driving up and down Parham Road behind me right now. We're all searching for truth. And so here's, here's what we do. We come to something like the scripture and culturally what we do is if my life and the truth don't line up, culture changes the truth to fit their life. Like, oh, oh, there's a gap here. Like, it didn't, that's not saying what I desire for it to say. So I'm going to change that to fit me. But if your life and the scripture don't match, don't change the truth to fit your life. Change your life to fit God's truth. Come on, I'm going to say that again. If they don't match, don't change the truth to fit your life. Change your life to fit God's truth. That's where true life is. That's where the truth of God's word is. We, we come in submission. We submit our emotions, our feelings, our desires, our opinions to the truth of God's word. Feelings don't make something true. Emotions don't make something true. Even passion and desire don't make something true. I really want this to be true. I really want this. Like That's fine, but you're... Your, your, your want doesn't make it true. Like I saw this picture this week. I thought this illustrated it in a really funny way. There's a picture of some cans of soda in the oven. I heard that baking soda will clean the oven. Hope this works. <laughs> You're just heating up some Mountain Dew. Like, like you might really believe that and really want that to work. But how many know, even if you believe it and want it and love it, that ain't true. <laughs> It's just not true. Like, your feelings about something or your desire for something to be true does not change what truth is. See that God's word is truth. The second thing is this. God's truth is not a buffet we pick from, but a meal that we eat. God's truth is not a buffet we pick from. It's a meal we eat. This is so important. And hear me, if you begin to pick and choose from God's word. Because here's what we do. Here's what we do. There's a lot here that people love culturally. Like, 
like, like forgiveness. Oh, everybody wants to be forgiven and love your neighbor. And, and, and so, so what we do is we begin to go through and we say, oh, yes and amen, for sure, yes. Like, oh, whoa, 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 stay out of my sexuality and relationships, please, Lord, no thanks. Um, oh, yes, love, 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 yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, my money, you wanna have a, you wanna have a say in my budget, Lord? Nope, nope, we're gonna put that one to the side. We're gonna do like, oh, my, ad- no, 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 like, it's like this buffet we just pick through and we're like, yes, no, that's sounds good that doesn't sound like like as soon as just as soon as you do that you have limited its power as soon as you do that you've limited the power of God's word in your life the areas in which you dismiss or pass over in your buffet approach to God's word become your spiritual lid all right, look, this is, this is gonna be so practical for some people. I'm trying to help you today. The things you pass over and don't address or submit to become your lid. Let's put it like this. Maybe in my car, got my nice little Honda, my nice little Honda Accord. I try to have a biblical car. The disciples were in one Accord. <laughs> so stupid, why is... So let's say, that's so dumb. I'm sorry, Vicky, that was terrible. So let's say my tire done, tire pops, tire's gone, and I just ride around on it for a half a day. Frames get all kind of bent up. And you know, when you're driving with a flat, you can tell, right? You just, it, it ain't going like it's supposed to be going. So I take it to my guy at the auto shop, my guy Ronald at the auto shop. I love him. That's where I take my car. I go to Ronald and say, Ronald, listen, man, my car, I've been driving around. It's just not like, it's just not quite there, Ronald. Like, I need you to pop open the hood. I think, I think it's my transmission. Right? I think it's like my transmission and the starter. It sounds a little weird. Sometimes it feels like it's getting a little hot. Like, Ronald, pop open my hood, man. I need you to figure it out. And he's like, I mean, Nate, I can do that, but you're, Tire, your tires flat, like you're, you're, you now, they're not, your wheels aren't even aligned because you've been driving with it. Like, no, Ronald, listen, listen, Ronald, I didn't, I'm not, I'm not talking about my tire, Ronald, I'm not talking about my tire, I'm talking about my transmission. I, I, I got the tire, I'm good, I, that's, I didn't, I'm not asking you for that, I'm talking about under the hood, pop open the hood. Well, I mean, that, that's fine, I could do that, you may have something here, but, but like, you're, you're tired, you're, uh, Ron, listen, Ron, dude, listen, bro, I'm not here to talk about the tire. I'm here to talk about what's under the hood. Fix what's under the hood. Like, how many know I'd be in the auto shop and he'd be like, you're nuts. He'd be like, I can't help you. Because I can fix your transmission and I can fix your brake pads and I can fix your, your, your starter. But until you address that, that becomes the limit for the functionality of your car. Like, until you deal with that, your car is not going to function like it would. And, and this is what we do in our approach to God's word. I've sat down with people that, that, are, that are not addressing their tire and wanting to talk about the transmission. Like, like, Pastor, I know I'm living with, you know, I'm shacked up and I'm living with somebody I'm not married to, uh, and, and, but, but Pastor, I, I've just been really trying to pray at home and get into God's word, and I just can't feel God's presence in my prayer time at home. Can you help me? Well, are, are you still living with 
Are you in a relationship that's not honoring to God? Pastor, I'm not here to talk about relationships. I'm, I'm here to talk about prayer. I don't get prayer. Like, well, well, until you do, until you address this. Well, no, pastor, I'm not here to talk about relationships. I'm good, my relationships. I'm just here to address prayer. And, and I'm saying, until you address the tire, I can't help you with your transmission. Like, like, pastor, like, I just can't seem to get ahead with my finances. I just, I, I try to budget. I just can't do it. And every single time, I feel like I can't catch a break in emergency. I just can't do it. Well, are you, are you honoring God with your first fruits? Are, are you tithing? Well, no, I'm not here to talk about generosity. I'm here to talk about budgeting. I'm here to talk about, about my raise. I'm here to, like, no, no, no. Until you address this, that's now your lid. And for you to address something else while shelving something that you won't address, your spiritual lid has been set. Well, well, Pastor, I, I, I just had a track record of making decisions that just haven't proven to be good. I've tried to make good decisions, and every time I turn around, I feel like I'm making a wrong decision. I need help with decision-making, decision-making. And I say, oh, okay, uh, are, are you living in community where you have wise counsel around you, telling stuff you don't want to hear but things you need to hear? Well, no, 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 I don't, I, I don't need anybody else. I just need help with wise decisions. Well, until you submit yourself to spiritual authority and get wise counsel around you, you're not going to be able to, like, that's your lid, is this making sense today? Am I helping you? If you take it like a buffet, the power is limited in your life to what it can do for you. The final thing is this. I want this to encourage you today. God's truth is not a restriction that takes from you. It's a guide that frees you. Look, I want to, as clearly as I can, attack the cultural narrative that says God and his word exist to restrict you that says God in his word is a killjoy, that says God in his word is a lid on your life that you need to blow off so you can really be happy. Because it's culture will paint God's word as a restricting, binding killjoy. I just want to say that's the farthest thing from the truth. I would say if I was the enemy, I would love for you to think about God's word in that way. Because the truth is God's word is not restrictions that keep me from things it's truth that frees me god god is not a killjoy he's the source of joy god is not trying to take from my life he's trying to give me life god is god's word is truth that sets us free this is what jesus says in john chapter 8 he tells his disciples if you hold fast to my word that's important. If you hold fast, it didn't say if you breeze by it, if you casually hear it, if you're aware of it. No, no. If you hold fast to it, like people are going to come and knock you and take it. Hold fast. If you hold fast, he says, you're my disciples. And then he says right after that in verse 32 of John chapter 8, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. See, God's word isn't restricting, it's freeing. Because I know some people that live truth-free, no rules, no guidebook, no true north, no whatever. And culture would look at that person and say they're free, but I know those people. They, they are the most enslaved people I know. Because if you live outside of God's word, you think you're free, you might believe for a moment that you're free, but you'll find you'll become a slave to your own desires. You'll become enslaved to your own passions. You'll become enslaved to your own flesh. You, you will become a slave to yourself. 
This is why people in the pursuit of living free end up committing to bondage because they don't realize that it's holding fast to the truth of God's word that sets me free. It sets me free from not having to come up with my own truth today. It sets me free from not having to live today according to a feeling, but, but living today according to what has been steady and unchanging and faithful through generations. Last thing, I want you to write this down. No book has the power to change your life like the Bible. Or you can say it like this, no truth has the ability to transform your life like God's truth. For all of human history, everywhere this book has went, everywhere this message has went, life transformation has happened. Salvation has happened. Justice has gone forth. Love and mercy have oozed out. Everywhere this message has been, there has been life. Why? Because God's word is true. I want you to know today, if you're here and you're living any other way than submitted to God's truth, there's freedom in Christ and his truth that I want for you. If you're picking out from the buffet of God's word today, I want you to know that there's more for you. I want you to know there's freedom in Christ. I want you to know there's freedom that comes from submitting your life to the truth of God's word. It's the truth of the gospel that saves us, and it's the truth of his word that guides us as we seek to follow him in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing one more song in worship before we celebrate water baptisms. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the words of Jesus to his disciples to hold fast to your truth. Father, I pray you'd help us be a people, help us be a church that holds fast to your truth today. Lord, may we truly know the freedom that comes from your truth. Lord, I just speak over every person here today. May we know the truth and may the truth set us free. God, for those of us that are living in bondage to our own desires, to our own flesh, today I pray you'd help us to come into humble submission to your word that we might be set free. God, help us to see your word as gracious and a gift and a, and a guide, a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, everybody said. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.